Well, a Merry Christmas to all y'all. I hope everyone has had a great time with their family and friends in this unbelievably wonderful holiday season. Uh, During this week of Christmas, we are swapping shows on the feeds inside our podcast network. On this, the Rise Together feed, we're going to put up an episode of the new EDU. It's all about racism in the classroom, and I hope that you can take something away from this in the same way that I was able to as well. I love the work that Hope and Wade are doing inside of this podcast and think that there's something amazing for you in this episode. So, Anyway, I hope that you'll give it a listen. I want to send you, again, the very, very best for this Christmas season. And I'm wishing every bit of greatness for the year that sits in front of us. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Here's to an... Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Here's to a... Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Here's to an amazing 2021 ahead. Great teachers don't just come from the classroom. They can be found almost anywhere in your life. That's why we, Wade and Hope King, created this podcast to connect you with the stories, the tools, and the joy you need to take education to the next level. Nowadays, everyone's an educator. Whether you chose that career or not. And we're all in this together. So come on, let's do this. Welcome Welcome to to the the new EDU. podcast today we are so excited to have one of our very good friends and fellow educators Shivy Brooks in the house and he's actually in the house literally literally in the house he lives right around the street a block over one of the coolest people I know (laughs) oh he's setting you up I didn't I didn't do a good enough job setting you up nobody is and we you know on this podcast where we've talked a lot about creating a space to have conversations about the here and now and what's going on in education what's going on in our homes how we're you know helping our students navigate this difficult time but also we want to create a space you know for to have these these critical conversations I used to want to call them difficult conversations but they're and while they might be difficult, they're they're critical. They're important. They're even more than just difficult. For sure. Right? For sure. So we're excited to have you here and to dive into just some content about the work that you do. So I guess we can kind of start there. Just kind of fill us in about the work that you do, not only in your home, but also in your school. And we know you're you know, fill b- big roles in this community here in Atlanta. So just kind of fill us in a little bit. Uh sure. I mean for the most part, I mean, I'm a teacher first. I teach in Clayton County, Georgia at Charles R. Drew High School. Um, I am a high school teacher. I teach economics and government. And outside of that, I guess, you know, I would be what we call a teacherpreneur nowadays, whether that be uh, we have, you know, merch, like clothing lines and things like that. But then more importantly, we have the Teacher Talk Live uh, platform where uh, nightly we're having conversations on my Instagram live with educators, uh, influencers, politicians politicians, folks uh, who are stakeholders in our community about just critical things, like things that really matter, that really can move how we see the world and, and what our world around us is. So um, that's a lot of the work that I do. You know, anytime there is a, a need in our community and I have the ability to be of some good or some value to fixing something or being a part of why something gets better, I'm trying to be there. Yeah, and you are there all the time. I've been along this ride with ride with you, I guess, during the summertime, and I was actually able to observe some instrumental um, movements that you've really been a part of, and how your voice is heard. Not only, and and you guys listening, he, he's being very humble. He's not he's not talking about the people who he is influencing out there in, in the Atlanta community. I mean, he's got. He's got T.I. He's got the leader of the NAACP. Like, they listen to him because they see what he's doing in this community. And it's it's really, really moving to see how all of these influential people just listen to teachers. Yeah. And and that's, I think, what this podcast is about. It's about creating relationships b- between not, not only teachers and different types of people, but also 
parents and families and these individuals who have never been teachers before. And so maybe you can kind of understand where teachers are coming from and, and vice versa. But it's been really, really cool to see the impact that you have made. I mean, we know this has been a tough summer and we know that these kids are going back to school, some virtually, some hybrid, some in person. Mm -hmm. And these are these are topics that we can't shy away from, especially as teachers and in the home, too. Oh, 100 100 percent. But I think one of the one of the things that I'm starting to realize where we are now in in what, like week four or three or four of, uh, you know, going back virtual for school. Um, a lot of my students, I'm, I'm hearing uh, a lot of apathy. I'm hearing a lot of, you know, the things are messed up. They've always been messed up. They're always going to be messed up. And, and and so honestly, the bulk of my work, especially as an educator and, and dealing with this uh, social justice awareness with my students is is helping to empower them to realize that they actually can do something. And and, and so while you talk about things like, you know, uh, being out there marching with T.I. or being in the power rooms with the T.I.s and the Phaedra Parks of the world and folks like that, um, when I'm able to show my kids those receipts, they see those pictures, whatever, of what happened over the summer, and they see their classmates and, and students from our school right there, too, it makes it real to them. And I think um, for me, like that's kind of been like where the work needs to be done. We got to build these kids up to believe that they can do something. Yeah. And I, it's like you said, and it's so sad that we as teachers have to build up these kids to where they almost, like you said, lack of apathy, but it's almost like they feel hopeless because this yeah. has always been. Yeah. And I think with our generation, I mean, it was it's kind of that way too. And so how do you suggest we talk ourselves out of that to impact the young people that are coming up? I, I think it's just by, by being an example. You know, when our kids are politically apathetic, it's, it is because um, they're not seeing examples of people actually making change around them. So it doesn't seem real. I mean, we always say you can't be what you don't see, mm. you know, so you can't be change if you don't see change, mm. uh, unfortunately. And, and we are in a time where you have to sometimes be and do things that don't even exist yet. Um, and so being a, an example to kids as to what that looks like um, is what we got to do. Um, so it just means doing it. It really is that simple. Do it, document it, uh, curate it. Let the kids see it. Yeah, instead of just talking about it, yeah, you got to you got to exemplify it. And I think one of the greatest examples of that is recently with the NBA, WNBA, and yes. MLB. Yes, I mean a lot of people out there are saying, "Well, what good is that going to do?" That they decided to boycott one game. Yo, you don't get it. Like it, uh, it impacts their pocket mm -hmm. because it comes from the corporations and the advertisements and the ownership. And they're willing to say, listen, look, it, it, if y'all can't hear us, you can't watch us either. So <laughs> it is what it is. I know that's in a big scheme, but even if um, our role models for these young people can start exemplifying it, we can too. Yeah. We can do it in different ways, obviously. But everyone has a platform, everyone has an influence, and everybody can be an example. And that's kind of what we're here to talk about today is what does this look like to have these type of courageous conversations? Where does it start? What does it mean to be about it? Mm. And we've we've been talking, all three of us this summer, we've been doing things together this summer, and the work has just started. So um, I'm just going to kind of pass it over to you. What what do courageous conversations hope? What what do those mean in your eyes? It's very interesting. The shift all of a sudden. I, with, I couldn't even wow. get a word in with Way King. Uh -oh. This is <laughs> this is the last podcast. He had to ask me if he could talk, and now all of a sudden it, hey. the tides have shifted hey. here. Hey. No, what I was gonna say is. What, you know, when you're talking about the NBA and right. Major League Baseball, you know, what an amazing opportunity to open up conversations in your home. Yeah. Like what an, a, the perfect opportunity and the opportunity is now being presented in your household when your kids are saying, well, why, why are they boycotting these games? What, what's happening to not just shy away from the conversation? And that's why I'm so excited that we're able to talk about this today and we're able to give, you know, um, strategies and, and things that you can start implementing at home and also in the classroom. But, you know, things are changing. Yeah. 
And things are changing on social media and they're changing, you know, what we're seeing on television and the way that we're seeing different corporations and businesses stand up and speak out. And they're not just doing it when it's relevant and they're not just doing it on a blackout Tuesday, but it's something that we're starting to see consistently. Like what an amazing opportunity to embrace every single one of those, those changes that we see. And when kids start asking questions, um, to be able to have those conversations. So really this boils down to the work begins at home. Yeah, and I think with NBA, MLB, uh, you know, all these different leagues, like hitting a pause button or even a full stop button, because some they're having a conversation now about actually ending the entire season. Mm-hmm. Um, it it it's forcing everyone to address it. I mean, one of my biggest beasts when they started having a conversation about getting the league back going, um, it's, it's funny. I was talking with Dwight Howard. His uncle is Paul Howard, the district yeah, attorney. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we were in Paul Howard's office and Dwight was there and we were talking about the league starting back. And he was like, how do you feel? And I said, yo, I don't like it. I feel like it's a distraction from all the social justice work that we're doing. I feel like a lot of the reason why the movement was so effective and why there was so much energy is because people had nothing else to have to deal with. Mm. Right. So you had time. You had no sports. You had no game to go run to and sit in front of. Mm. Um, and so when I, I felt like when the league came back, it took a lot of the energy away. And guess what? It did. Now you're, you're seeing them talking about pulling it back. And you got all this stuff going on in Wisconsin and around the country. Right. You better believe this weekend Atlanta's about to be moving again. Yep. Uh, cities across the country are about to be moving again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a lot to do with sports not being a distraction right now. And I think these athletes understand that. They know that. They, even among themselves, some of them are not in agreement as to whether or not they should be playing right now mm-hmm. because they feel like these social justice things matter more. I mean, when it came back, I was just as excited as anybody just to see sports back. Sure. But I thought the same thing as you did. But going back to what Hope was talking about with these corporations being intentional about infusing it, the NBA was like, listen, look, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it as best we can because we have a platform Mm -hmm. and we saw that and they didn't just shut it. They just didn't shut out the notion of black lives matter. They didn't shut out the notion. I mean, most of the players have some type of statement on the back of their jerseys. Like that is crazy. And then for them to go the extra step to say, listen, look, we're not just going to show this to the world. We're not just going to put it out there and talk whatever we say, it's not really, yeah, talk to talk, but we're going to walk and talk at the same time, mm-hmm. and we're going to show you what we really mean. And it's not the owners, and it's not it's not the the big wigs of the NBA or all of these organizations. It's the players. Yeah. It's the players that are saying, hey, listen, look, we can do this. We have ownership over what we do. And I think as people and humans and parents and spouses and whoever, we need to take that as the example on, hey, what can I sacrifice? What can I do better mm. intentionally throughout mm. everything I do during my everyday life, whether it's my hobbies, whether it's meeting in the neighborhood, what at, at the church, what can I do that exemplifies what they have done? I mean, it's it's a true, true testament on where our nation really is right now, and it's focusing on that and keeping it going. And they said exactly what you said. Listen, look, we're, we're back. These people are watching us. They may not be in the seats, but they're watching us. They're not focused on what's really happening in our nation. We're going to bring attention back to it. Yeah. And they took that seriously, and we need to take it seriously too. Well, I was going to say that's a fact. I, I was having a conversation with my friend, Ja. Uh, he owns the AEBL uh, Basketball League. It's like a, a lot of NBA players during the summer come out to Atlanta and go play in the league um, here in Atlanta. Um, and he was talking about how like in a lot of these big corporations, you know, the few uh, black executives that are there sometimes are so timid about speaking on some of these issues that when they choose not to speak, what happens is that everyone thinks it's okay. And then they start ignoring mm-hmm. things. And so it's that call to action. Like when we are present, whether you're black, whether you're white, whomever you are, you have a responsibility to be very vocal about the stuff going on. Cause when you're quiet, it allows people to think it's okay. It allows us to, to keep on with, with business as usual, and that has to stop. You know, when Wade was challenging, what is the sacrifice that you're going to make? The best form of sacrifice comes in action, right? Yes. It's not just about internally doing the work. And while that work, I have, I have learned, while that work is extremely important, right, 
I, for too long, did the internal work without doing anything externally, and that's problematic, right? Mm. Especially when we're leaders in our community, especially when we're leaders of our home, yeah. right? People always say, well, it doesn't matter. I don't have an influence. Listen, everybody has yes. an influence. Yes. You influence. If you are listening to this podcast right now, you influence someone, and therefore, it is our job to do this work. So, you know, how do we, because we get questions all the time, and, and we've kind of talked about some of this stuff. It's questions that Wade and I have had that we've come to you with as a matter of fact. But, you know, how do we start this work at home? Because a lot of people are like, well, I just feel like my kids are too young. And and you have Christian who yeah, is four. four. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to already have those conversations with him yes. being a black boy, yes. right? Yes. And so how when is it too soon to start these conversations? Is there such a thing as too soon to start the conversations? And how do we really lay a foundation, you know, in our homes to as parents just start, just do, start, do something um, to really start building up a new generation that, that understands the truth. I think we got to start with just acknowledge race, like start with acknowledging race. One of, one of the uh, biggest mistakes I made as a parent in raising my older son, Bryce, who's 14 now, is that uh, he, you know, he was born in 2006 um, I came into his life when he was two. That was 2008. 2008, Barack Obama gets elected, mm-hmm. right? So this is a time where for many black Americans, especially millennial black American parents who are younger, um, we were like, man, we, we might finally be realizing this post-racial society. We might finally be coming to the day where we don't have to keep addressing race so much. We won. We broke the glass ceiling. And so a lot of us, and I'm going to speak for myself, I try so hard to keep my son's racial innocence intact that... I didn't, you know, my father was a Panther. My father, NAACP member, member of the Nation of Islam, Morehouse graduate. I grew up in a blackity black, black house. Okay. <laughs> I grew up reading W.E.B. Du Bois. I grew up reading, you know what I'm saying? Like there, there was a way I grew up. Um, but there was a racial awareness that I had and a lack of a racial innocence that growing up in a society that did not want to address race, I was always problematic. I was always pushing the envelope. I was always making people uncomfortable. Oh, he's always talking about race. Well, race is always happening. Mm. But I tried to do it different from my kid. So I tried to keep his innocence intact. But then what I learned was is that when we as black parents do not address race with our black children, we give white kids a head start. Mm-hmm. And we give them a sense of some type of privilege that unfortunately they don't have. So what happens is when racism does happen, they don't know how to call it. They don't know how to define it. They don't know how to name it. It's just like you have to teach your kids about, um, you know, protecting their body and what is appropriate for touch and things like that. You got to teach kids what's appropriate in terms of how people deal with them in terms of race matters. Mm. It's the same thing. So I think if you've always hope said something that I thought was dope that you got from Naomi, which was uh, when uh, children are old enough to make choice or make decisions. Oh, yeah. That came from um, Star. Star I'm sorry. Excuse me. Yeah. Yes. And and that that is the that is the time when you should start talking about race. And I also feel that uh, when kids are old enough to uh, experience racism, it's time to talk about race. When kids are old enough to perpetuate racism, it's time to talk about race. So. It's always time. Yeah, and that's, you know, what I was going to say, too, is when, you know, I, we sat down and have, had a conversation with our friends Hayward and Star, and they literally said, if your child can choose which cereal they want mm-hmm. over the other, they understand preference. Mm-hmm. And so when they can start understanding preference, now is the time. And, you know, I, I Wade and I have never acted like, oh, we know exactly what to say. We can jump in any of these conversations. Mm-hmm. We feel comfortable. We feel never. confident. Let's go. Let's ha- have these conversations. You know, no, we n- have never once felt comfortable. It's not about feeling comfortable because that's my privilege speaking, right? right? right. That's me being able to say, oh, well, if I'm uncomfortable, I can step away from the conversation. Mm-hmm. No, it's got to be the opposite. We've got to lean into that uncomfortability yeah. to really lean into these critical conversations. And, you know, I'm just going to shoot it straight and be real because that's what this podcast is about. And the bottom line line is if we say, oh, no, my child is six and they're just too young. Guess what? That's probably you being uncomfortable. So you're going to be uncomfortable at seven and you're going to be uncomfortable at eight and you're going to be uncomfortable when they're 13. And then we have teenagers who have not been guided or led or, you know, taught the truths. And what happens? Right. Then they're old enough to be in the school systems and start making decisions and start, you know, 
and formulating their own opinions. And so really the time is now. There's never a bet, there's never a perfect time for anything. There's never a good, especially when you're uncomfortable, the time is now to start having conversations with our kids. If we truly want to see and make change, we can't just sit back and think about, oh, I hope the world's a better place for Maverick when he is 18 years of age. Right. No, if I truly want the world to be a better place for Maverick when he is 18 years, what am I going to do today? What am I going to do now? And so, you know, I think that as parents, we've got to push aside waiting to be comfortable and waiting to have the knowledge and waiting to have all of the answers to talk about it because you're never going to have all the answers. I think we also should be equip equipping our kids to be why the world is a better place. Mm. Like don't don't allow them to just be the bearers of the fruit of everyone everyone else's work. Mm-hmm. Teach them to put skin in the game. Teach them to be involved. Teach them to advocate. I think we that 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 is something we have to be intentional about because we got a lot of free riders in society who are, are reaping the benefits of all the hard work and emotional labor that everyone else is putting in. And it's time for everybody to be invested. And Having difficult conversations, especially starting it, will never feel comfortable, I don't think. I think it's more of saying it's okay to feel uncomfortable, but I guarantee you the sooner that you start with your children, the more okay it's going to be as they get older because you don't have to start from scratch Mm -hmm. when they are older. And it's one of those things to where it can be something as simple as you as the individual first. You start noticing what's being left out on TV on commercials, in movies, in books, and then you being intentional about providing your child those opportunities to see diversity and inclusive and inclusiveness w- within whatever you're um, watching, whatever you're reading, whatever you're doing with your child. Yeah. It's it starts with you first, but it's noticing those things that are being left out intentionally. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, even some shifts and adjustments that we've made in our house that are just easy changes is what literature, what, you know, we all know the importance of books. Mm-hmm. What am I, what am I feeding my son every single day, right? As far as books and television and music and, you know, all of these different components. Or who's welcoming your home. Or who's welcoming your home, That's right? huge. And we've talked a lot about that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, who we surround. And I know that things are quite different now with quarantine and <laughs> pandemic yeah, and, yeah. you know, but, it makes hey, it but, a little but challenging, you know but. Closest to you in terms of who's in your social bubble right now. Yeah. Right. It's in your neighborhood. Right. You know what I'm saying? People yeah. around you. And, you know, for young kids, the exposure, the inclusiveness is what Wade was talking about. But for older children, start having those conversations when you are watching television or you do see magazines or you do have books. Who's missing? Mm-hmm. Whose voice is missing? That's simple conversations to start getting, you know, your kids to see the world through a different set of lenses, that it's not just about what they see themselves in, right? Right. right? It's about seeing others as well. And so those are just simple little changes that you can make in your household to start to start a shift, to start a movement within your house. Yes. I agree with you a thousand percent. It, it really just, it starts with just talking. Yeah. It starts with just talking. And I think we can all agree, uh, as long as these these children are old enough to, to receive the world around them, they're old enough to start receiving these messages. Right. And when they ask hard questions and you don't know the answer, well, well baby, I don't know the answer to that, but we'll find it together. What? Where's our humility? I mean, wh- why are we you know, acting like as parents, we have to have all the answers? I think it's so important that we model for our kids, our children at home. Especially as white parents. Absolutely. You should never know all the answers, but it's our job as white parents to do the work. Never, ever, ever should I go to Shivy and say, hey, tell me about X, Y, and Z if I haven't tried to at least do some work to figure out what I'm trying to learn about. If I go to Shivy with no research, no work at all, I'm putting the burden on him. And he, along with his parents and ancestors have had way too much of a burden for me to just go to him and expect him just to spoon feed me. No, this isn't a black problem. This isn't a brown problem. This is a a white issue, but it's an issue that we're all working towards together, which is, I think, one of the craziest things that we can ever ask for is for the just the unity that we've pretty much seen during the summertime about taking the leap and doing it together and under, trying to at least understand each other. And it, it seemed like a fad there for a little bit, and I think it was. Uh, but you've seen the work continue, and it's back again. And I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, I think for the folks that felt like they could, they can kind of check out over time, like, oh, you know, July passed. Right. You know, folks started tamping back down. Basketball's back. 
<laughs> you know, it's like, all right, we, we get back to life. You know, let me just post my regular stuff and whatnot. But I think the world is not going to allow us to, mm -hmm. to, to try to get back there. And, and as long as you try to, it will snap us back. And, you know, as a parent or as an educator, I think if we're still sitting here and saying, well, I'm just not ready, that's one of the biggest issues that we have to address within ourselves, you yeah. know, is that there, there's no longer an opportunity to not be ready because as we're seeing, you know, more and more and more, which this has already been going on for so long, this is a life and death issue, right? Is. This is not just a, a political issue, as a lot of people like to say. This is a life or death issue. Yeah, I mean it's so real. I was watching the videos of stuff going down over over the weekend that you know that seventeen year old kid who was walking around with the long rifle and and shot all those folks and you know I you know I was just baffled just sitting there watching like what was going on because it it shows you. I posted it in my story today. You can see video from before stuff went down, when it went down, afterwards, and it's just the how dangerous white privilege unchecked can be. Unchecked. Unchecked. Right, where you know everyone else is getting yelled at to get off the block, but the cops are giving you water. Where you can shoot several people dead mm. in the street, harm people, walk right by the cops, and they roll right by you, and they see all these other people as the threat. Like it's just, um, it, it's it's a scary, scary thing to see. And and sometimes, man, I try to be conscious conscious about what I watch before we have conversations like this because I know it like gets me burnt up inside. Like, man, are you serious? Did you see this? But we can't continue to turn away. Right. Like I don't get to to have the privilege of not being aware of what is going on because that could be me. Right. That could be my son. Right. Mm -hmm. That could be, you know, any of my neighbors. Um, it could be you. Right. You know, it could be Wade if he comes out. You know, Wade's been out marching with us. It could be any of us. And so it's just it's the reality that we gotta really deal with stuff unafraid. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the the perfect way to say it is to do it. Like you said, to do it afraid, to do it even if we are afraid. You know, the last that part, thing yeah. that I want for Maverick to come back and say to me one day is, Mom, why didn't you tell me the truth? Mm. That is the last—I mean, I'm not going to have all mm. the answers, <laughs> and I'm not going to raise him perfectly. And I don't—oh, my gosh, as a mom, I'm still trying to figure it out literally on a second-by-second -second basis. But one thing that we can all— commit to doing is telling our kids the truth yeah, and the hard truth. And that is not easy. And I'm not saying that, listen, the truth, truth conversations, conversations with truth are the hard, hardest conversations to have. Yes. But I never want for him to come say, come back to me and say, why didn't you tell me the truth about this? Why didn't you? And for me to have to say it was because I was too afraid. Right. Because what is that going to teach him to do? Right. With his kids and with the, with the next generations is to always be afraid and to let fear dictate what impact you're going to have. You never want to allow fear to create your impact or to keep you from your impact, mm. I guess. And so, you know, I think that fear is out. And doing it afraid is what we have to do as educators, as parents. We have to be in the here and the now. We can't just bury our head in the sand and say, oh, I wasn't aware. Because everyone is now aware, yeah. right? Yeah. And so we don't even have that excuse. Before, yeah, with lack of social media, or maybe I'm not on social media, you can maybe say, I didn't know. But now that's not even that's not even a relevant piece of the conversation. Now it's worse. Right? Now it's worse yeah. if you don't take a stand or you don't try to do the work. Because I believe, I mean, you need to check and see if you blacked out on Tuesday. If you blacked out on Tuesday, you know, or you have the responsibility to, responsibility to know. One thing I want to point on or uh, point out, uh, Shivy is something you mentioned quickly um, was just unchecked privilege. And I think the key component of that is the unchecking part because privilege isn't, I don't, I don't believe it's going to go away in our lifetime. It's, it's sad. And I don't believe uh, that, that it, it should stay around, but it's hard to say that it's yeah. not going to go away. And yeah. so I, teaching Maverick the truth is teaching him that he does have privilege. Right. I mean, he's got a lot of it. I mean, he's a male, number one, and he's white. That's pretty much all I know right now. He's he's 15 well, he's months. He's blonde and blue, too. He's blonde and blue. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. He's, and he's a big guy. He's probably going to be But anyways, besides that. Wade is manifesting the athleticism. Did you his, hear it? It's going to be there. Exactly. He's going to be a superhero. He got, he got future stud energy on the way. He, he's going to be a superhero with Christian. Christian could be Spider-Man. There we go. And then um, 
uh, Maverick can just be Batman. a Power Ranger. Oh, uh, or Batman's fine. Batman is fine. Batman is fine. Captain America. That, that works. It works. Captain America. But, but teaching Maverick that he does have privilege, we have privilege, you have a certain privilege Absolutely. that Hope doesn't have. Hope has one. That, but uh, we're sitting in this room. I have more privilege than both of you guys combined, mm-hmm. and I know that. Mm-hmm. But how am I going to use that privilege um, in a humble way? And being intentional about that, I think, is is challenging and learning that I had a privilege at the age of, oh my gosh, I guess 28 probably is when I really, really recognized it is insanely too late. That is Mm -hmm. way, way too late. Mm -hmm. And going back to what you said earlier and Hope did too, is just when, when these kids, when Maverick goes to school, he has to recognize, oh, that was biased. That was racist. How can I stand up for so-and-so? Just like someone would stand up for a bully. And um, I think that's that's kind of where I'm at right now with Maverick. And it's one day at a time. It's understanding that, hey, we've got a heavy job on our hands. But again, not to put a huge burden on him, but enable him, help him understand. Yeah, empower him. And empower to, him. To know the truth and to speak truth and to stand up for truth. Right. And I think that's what's so important. And so. But also, how you guys are raising him is going to go a long way um, to making that innate. To making that natural, right? Right. So when you when you grow up and you have uh, black folks around you on a daily basis that you foster a tight relationship with, that you genuinely have love and affinity for, it becomes almost impossible for you to ever see injustices and things like that occur around you. Know that it is because of race, and for that to be something you can be quiet about, mm. like it, it it will be innate because people fight for their village. Like just naturally, right? Like, you know, if if you saw something going down with one of your neighbors, maybe the ones you like the best, but one of your neighbors, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're you're gonna be there to try to help them out. You know, right. if it's your family member, you're gonna be there to help them out, no matter what the threat may be for you. And so the same energy happens. Like, you know, I don't think it's just racial lines that kind of create our villages. A lot of times it's about, are we invested in the same things? Do we care about the same things? And that's kind of what creates our village. Like you guys have become a part of my village. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we we have a lot of commonalities, right? So people from the outside looking in probably wouldn't have any idea. But the way I come and ride for Hope and Wade, you know, it's right. like, like I would for any of my friends that I grew up with. That is because y'all have become tight-knit with me. And so with Mav... He's going to have that. Yeah. He's going to have that. And I think that is a product of of raising your children uh, with intentional inclusivity around them. Yeah. And, you know, setting up an environment where we're normalizing these conversations. It's normal yeah. to have these type of conversations. But if you never start them, mm. how do you expect them to become normal, right? Mm. And so, again, it is about truly ripping the Band-Aid off, get, just diving in, getting started, saying something, standing up for something, doing something. Because each time, I'm not saying that it's going to get a little bit easier, but you're going to learn. Yeah. And with learning comes growth. And so that's what we're looking to do here. We're not looking to always have to get to a place where we have all the perfect answers and we know everything. No, we're looking for a place to grow, to grow into to what, you know, our good friend Brandon always says, to fail forward. If I'm going to fail, I'm at least going to fail in a direction of growth, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we never start, how are we going to do that? And so, you know, for parents who might say, or, or teachers too, because um, we have a lot of educators who say, oh my goodness, well, but I teach in a predominantly, you know, all of my students are white. Mm-hmm. And so how do I have these conversations? Conversations, or maybe it's a family who says, you know, we're, we live in a predominantly white neighborhood or an all white neighborhood. My kids go to an all white school. They play sports with white, you know, all white kids. Mm-hmm. How do they start making these shifts and changes in the classroom or in their home to start really, you know, being aware and conscious of who they're surrounding their children with? They got to be, they have to be intentional like you were to uh, get out of their silo. You have to be intentional about bringing people into your world. And, and and I believe that like when you we live in a day and age where you can be interconnected with folks across the world, across the globe within right. a moment. There is no excuse for us to only be having conversations with people who look like us or live around us anymore. 
Those days are gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you're an educator and you want a place to talk with black educators, well, hi, my name is Shivy. <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram at call me Shivy, um, where we have teacher talk live conversations every night, and educators are talking about race and talking about these things That's on right. a regular basis. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm not the only one. There's you know the Lanisha Tabs of the world and the Naomi O'Briens of the world mm-hmm. and and in uh, Vera and you know you got all these folks out there who are having these type of conversations. So. There's no excuse. Like, we're here. Right. Just open your eyes. We're here. Um, and, and as far as parents go, I mean, listen, there, there are communities all across, Facebook groups all across that you can tap into. You can create these connections with folks. You just got to do it on purpose. Mm-hmm. You got to be intentional about it. And it's, it's hard at the beginning because you're not used to it. And it's something that's new. But just like with anything that's new, once you start, you got to be consistent and then it'll become habitual. And then and then it'll sink in on what your purpose is and why you are doing these things in the first place. And you got to start. You just got to. And I I think that's kind of what kind of leads us into what we did this summer, like when all of this started happening this summer. We we didn't really know you, Shivy, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, sh- uh, we we did the Blackout Tuesday. We were having a virtual conference. We did the Blackout Tuesday, and we had learned so much from you talking about you need to start looking at these black people and these black educators and these black communities with these honest and courageous conversations. Hope and I have been watching your teacher talk live on Instagram for about a month or so, and we were like, you know what? We don't know nothing from nothing but we do know where to send people. And that's what we did. We, we sent our community to, to your page that night. Yeah. And it was so odd because we tuned in. And the conversations that you were having that night, you, you hadn't planned it. No. We didn't plan it. But those conversations that, that were going on that night, it was, it was like it was orchestrated to be on purpose and intentional. This is where you start. God is not allowing our walk to be an accident. Mm-mm. It is all on purpose. You guys, you guys tapping in uh, with, with my lives and then kind of what has become of that for me and the educators associated with me, the black educators across the country, it it has been life-changing. We are no longer in our own silo, Mm -hmm. right? There are so many white educators that are now uh, engaging in conversations uh, on my platform, on our platform, I'll call it, um, that that it, it it matters so much more now. You know, it's one thing for black folks to talk about racism among ourselves. Mm. It's like, you can't really do nothing about it. Right. All we can do is talk, we can talk defense strategy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what to That's, do when, yeah. right? You know, it's, it's kind of that thing. But when we're having conversations with white educators, it's more of a proactive conversation. Now we're talking about how we can shift systems and and make real changes. It, it it makes it a completely more effective and more impactful conversation. So I just first wanted to just express gratitude to y'all for that because you've made the conversations on my platform matter so much more. Because now white educators who have been following you guys who are engaged in your platform are now stepping outside of their silo. Mm. And, you know, those are sparking conversations in uh, school board meetings, sparking conversations in faculty meetings in schools across the country uh, and whatnot. And I think that this is a, a perfect example of folks being intentional about stepping outside of their silos, mm-hmm. folks being intentional about bringing in new voices, new faces, new places, new journeys that folks have gone through um, and becoming better for it. Yeah. And just taking it upon themselves to be intentional about stepping out of those silos and being comfortable with having honest conversations because the conversations on your platform are still super honest. It's not like anybody strives away from anything. And if you're wrong, you're wrong, mm-hmm. but it, it it's, it's in truth. And it's, I think everything that I've always seen on your platform has come from a place of love, not necessarily kindness. And we'll talk about that at another date, right. but <laughs> from, from love and, and justice instead of it just being, oh, it's okay. No, it's, that's really not okay. But we've learned so much from that and, and how to be about it. And I, and this whole conversation with this podcast, we've started with being about it. What does it look like being about it? If you are an influential figure, like an athlete, what does it mean to be about it? If you are a parent? What does it mean to be about if you are a teacher? And podcast folks, our community out there, believe it or not, 
change starts in the schools. And how does change start in the schools? Well, it's it's the parents and it's the teachers working together to start that change in the schools. Mm-hmm. Everything we've discussed thus far are things that you can note inside of your districts and your schools and in your communities to start an impact. I'm going to challenge you. Oh, yay. Because I think that change starts in the home. Oh. Because I think, I'm just, this is for me personally, but I feel like home is where the heart is, right? And we have to do the heart work within ourselves as educators, as parents, before we can ever, you know, influence our students or influence our children. Because at the end of the day, if we're just doing something because it's trendy, because we feel like we feel, we feel that white guilt, right? We feel guilty. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I should say something. Mm -hmm. But we don't really feel that on the inside. And we haven't really done the work within ourselves to believe what we're saying then why are we saying it in Mm. the first place? And so as educators, we really have to think about that. Have I done the work within myself? And I don't mean to say, oh, I've just got to put everything on pause. I haven't done the work within myself, so I'm not really ready to do it in my classroom. That's not what I'm talking about. This is is a matter of urgency, right? This isn't, we can just, oh, I'm going to take the next six months and really, you know, do the work internally, and then I'll talk to my kids about it. No, that is not what I'm saying. But I'm saying we've got to check our privilege. We've got to check our bias. We've got to check how we feel about things and do the work within ourselves before we can really impact others because we don't just want to do something to be performative. We don't just want to do something to act a certain way because we feel guilty or because we should be saying something. We want to do it because we we feel it. We we mean what we say and we back what we say 100% sure. because that's where the action is going to come from. For sure. And, and yeah, I agree with you. I mean, we did just have a whole you know uh, conversation about when we should start doing the work with, right. with our kids. Yeah. And and so I think we, we're in agreement that the work definitely has to happen before kids are our school age, but it definitely needs to continue to happen within our schools Absolutely. too. Absolutely, uh, and and I think it, although it may need to start, you know, from the cradle, right, yeah. right, mm-hmm. um, it has to be supported, it has to be continued um, on on the uh, on the other side. And the, the momentum just has to keep going. I, I don't disagree with you that at all, and it's it's. I'm glad you pointed that point out. Because it's very important that it does start in the home, and you, you can't make a, a a change that that needs to happen and for the right reasons, like you said, if it doesn't start with you internally first, and you feel it and you know it, and being intentional about it, and then also then being able to spread it throughout your home, and it exudes from your home into those other places in your community. Yeah, we sure. we call this learning out loud. That's, That's what right. it is. That's right. <laughs> no, nah, because I, I think I think from you know from Wade's perspective, it just really emphasizes the fact that we do have to be more intentional about schools in our schools to be doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um but but you know still, you know, it's a it's a chicken and egg kind of situation, right? Mm-hmm. And that that egg is the home. You know, that egg is the home and yeah. and, and that that chicken, you know, is definitely in the school. So we, you know, both both are true. You've done the work in schools, and we've done the work in schools as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. You've done this work a lot longer than we have, obviously, being a black male educator. What advice do you have for educators out there who say, you know, I want to have these critical conversations. I want to open up conversations and dialogue in my classroom, but my parents don't agree with my opinions or my views on things, and they're really giving a lot of pushback against these these critical conversations. What advice do you have for educators? Because I know we hear that a lot. Yeah. And, and, and listen, that's not just white educators who deal with it. It's especially black educators. Mm-hmm. You know, I trust me, I get challenged all the time about stuff, but you do it anyway. Yeah. You do it anyway. And you make it not so much about your opinions and your perspectives, but you make it about truth. And you allow, you give kids the, the, all the, the paint palette and you give them the canvas yep. and you teach them it's not black and white, it's the canvas and they can paint the picture how they see it. And you give them all of the things to be most honest about what the picture looks like. You have to equip them with the truth on both sides. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta play devil's advocate sometimes. You gotta, you gotta make them look at things uh, for what is there and what's not there. Very much like you were talking about, who's missing, right? Those kind of things. Yeah. So, yeah. And I was gonna say, you know, the, that's one of the most valuable pieces of, of information that I took from the Be About It conference that we hosted was it's not about you expressing your opinions and oh, I feel this or I. It's about, like you said, giving kids the canvas and allowing them to be the artists of the classroom, which is how we should be doing things anyways as educators, right? Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. really facilitating conversations that allow students to start having dialogue and really having those critical components. And it does start with the question as simple as, who's missing from this picture? Mm -hmm. 
Who's missing? Whose voices aren't heard? Whose voices are heard the loudest? Why do you think that is? Why do you think these voices are missing? You know, it's those simple little changes that we can make in our classroom. I think we make it much too complex. And like you said, we don't really need to push our viewpoints or opinions out on our students. We need to allow them an opportunity and an environment to be able to formulate their own. Also, when kids see you walk in it, they're watching it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, my my students, you know, I, I had a yesterday, literally spent 30 minutes of my class having a, a heart-to-heart conversation with one particular young man. We stopped talking curriculum, stopped talking econ, all this other stuff. We were talking about, I don't know, production possibility curve or something yeah. like that. <laughs> right. So we stopped talking about that to have a conversation about uh, the fact that he could have impact on politics or could have impact on the community, that things being messed up around him did not have to just be that way. And and so being able to, to have that talk, but to, to show him, <clears throat> hey, look at my Instagram page, look at uh, this march that we went to, but then look at this board meeting we were in, but then look at this thing and showing him how it actually became something real. Mm-hmm. Um, so when a kid can see how you walk, it, it makes... A lot of the, uh, I guess, negative perspectives or apathetic perspectives on things, it kind of quells them. It puts them to bed. It's like it, those things can't exist if I see this. Right. right. And, I mean, showing that and exemplifying that, it goes even further than that. It goes with what we're talking about. If you bring it back to the curriculum, what is mi- – that's the easiest place. I'm telling you, as a white person, that's the easiest place to start because that's something you can tangibly do. Mm. If you were, Especially if you were teaching history or social studies or reading books or whatever the school district gave you. Or watching a television watching show. Watching a television home. show. If you're a parent and you're doing this hybrid thing or you're virtual teaching, you can do this too. You can see which – and we're not only talking about black versus white. We're talking about women versus males. Yes. Um, and – Finding those facts and, like Shivy, you said, those truths to present to your students and to your kids and children at home is going to open their eyes to a whole new world that they have just been secluded from because this whole thing is systematic. And how do we break that? It's about presenting this information, allowing them to paint the canvas, but with the whole truth instead of just part of the truth. I taught mostly white children this last year, and I found gaps to where Juneteenth was missing in the curriculum. And I would have these parent meetings, and they said, well, why aren't you using? I said, well, I am teaching this, but I'm also teaching about this component, too. I literally took the textbook out. I flipped through it and I said, I guarantee you, if I flip to any random page in this history textbook, and I, I challenge you guys, if you're listening right now, get your child's textbook and see, flip it 10 times and see how many white males, if, you, if they have a history social studies textbook, how many pages land on white males. That should open your eyes more than anything else. And so finding those gaps, seeing who's presented more than anyone else is the easiest place to start. And then you can grow from there. Um, this isn't something that's super difficult. It's not that challenging. And that's why we want to have these conversations, because we want to give you the tools to make a better change and an easier change for, for you and your kids. 100%. And I believe our, you know, our predominantly white uh, communities are the spaces that need to be having these conversations the Absolutely. most. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The most. And that's why we say, you know, don't just, when we tell people to, you know, live outside of your what, what you've already created and developed, maybe you need to go and expose your, your children to different environments and different cultures and communities mm-hmm. and bring that into your home mm-hmm. as well. That doesn't mean that, oh, I just go and find my, my black friend named Shivy and then I expect <laughs> him to do the work for me with my kids. Let me just, every time I have a question, let me just run to Shivy and expect for him to explain everything to me. No, we, as white people, as white parents, as white educators, we have to do the work. But it doesn't hurt when you do build a community and you do build relationships with someone like a Shivy to where I, when I do have questions, if mm. I've done my part to then go to him and say, I've researched this, I've looked up this mm-hmm. and and ask questions because he's given me permission and our relationship gives right. me permission to be able to do that. Right. But you don't just run up to, you know, a, a black educator and say, hey, I need information about it. that's not how you build a relationship and build a community. I, I, so. was, I was having a conversation <laughs> with Lanisha about this and we were talking about how we get these like, you know, you got to keep scrolling these messages for so long from like white educators, white folks, and they're, you know, spilling their their guilt out to you or they're, you know, whatever. And and some many of them mean absolutely well. Right. Some of them, it feels very performative, but it does become a thing where, you know, especially if you if you have a sizable platform, you get a you get 20, 30, 40 of those a day. That's a lot. 
you know, you can't address everybody. And it's not that you're trying to ignore folks. It's just that, you know, I got a life to live, like right. in real life. Too. Well, not not only that. I mean, it. I can imagine it's it's re, rehatching some, some trauma that, sure. you, that you have definitely have experienced in your life. And so going into these conversations... Um, if you are a white individual, you don't take that lightly, especially if, if you have a relationship with someone who you trust and that you love and that you care for, because these are, like we said, the, these are critical, but they are courageous, but they are very difficult conversations to have. But I'm so glad that you mentioned that, Hope, because ne- never once have I not felt comfortable to go to Chevy with a question or have a conversation. And I think it's because of the relationship that we have. Yeah. And it goes back to the whole beginning of this podcast of... We've got to get out of our out of our silos, like Shivy says, and we have to open our home and we have to include people in our in our community, in our neighborhood that don't look like us. Well, all I think the time. just don't expect that just because someone is black that they have to talk about it mm. or that they want to talk about it. Mm. It's that relationship component, like you're saying, but it's also the, you know, asking permission and really developing yeah, I understand yes, I know that Shivy is open to any question that I have. Not, yeah, because of the relationship, but also because we have a mutual permission, you know, right. to have these conversations. And so right. I think that that's so important, too, is not to just assume anything that, that oh, they have to teach me about this. No, no, they no, don't. But, but also when you when you see uh, black folks that are doing the work, that are sharing, that uh, are, are doing it in a way where you can uh, compensate or invest in what they're doing, do it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, stop trying to get the freebie off of folks all the time. Like, <laughs> right. you know what I'm saying? Buy that virtual conference ticket. Buy, right. you know, subscribe to that Patreon. Like, you know what I mean? Like, support these folks that are doing their work. Black folks deserve to be compensated for their emotional labor. Absolutely. Plain and simple. Well, listen, this was just the tip of the iceberg. We Ooh. know there are, we've we've been, like we said, doing this work with Chevy since this summer, um, prior to the work that we were doing within ourselves and, you know, within our communities. But this is just the tip of the iceberg. We definitely are going to have many, many more conversations about how do we advocate for social justice? How do we address issues with social justice? How do we make sure that our homes reflect um, this movement? Because it's like you've said so many times, it's not just a moment in history. This is a true movement. And so um, I love the question of which side of history are you going to be on, Mm. right? I've seen that so many places. And that just really, for me, I'm like, wow, raising a son, which side do I want him to say, oh, my mom stood on that side of history. Mm. That's right. Oh, my dad stood on that side of history. And so that's how I reflect as a parent. So really just starting, you know, even if this conversation just put you in a reflective state, start there. Yeah. Start with your reflective state and start really evaluating your bias and your privilege and, and what, what position you take in this. And, but don't stay there. Don't just stay in the state of reflection. Then what are you going to do about it? How are you going to start conversations? How are you going to act on you know those feelings that you're having, the reflection that you're having within yourself? Mm-hmm. You got to think about what torch you're giving your kid to carry. Yeah, yeah. What torture are you giving your kid to carry? That's such a great way to end this. And so thank you, Shivy, for joining us. And thank you for being a part of this conversation. Um, we look forward to having you definitely on the podcast coming soon. Um, this is an honor. This is an honor and a privilege. And I'm looking forward to seeing all the great things that y'all are going to do. Like, y'all, this is exciting. It this is. is. This the is, community. I mean, you know, it's that, still that's new. That's your thing, though, right? Hey, no, that's our thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's still new, but thank you for joining us. Thank you for being a part of this. You know, if you are still here and you are still listening, thank you for being a part of these critical conversations and not being afraid to make yourself uncomfortable because that's where true learning takes place. So with that said, we'll see you next time, everybody. All right. The new EDU is hosted by me, Wade King. And me, Hope King. The show is produced by Chelsea Harfush. And edited by Andrew Weller, with production support from Sterling Coates and Chase Mayo. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. The new EDU podcast is a 3% chance production.